All right, good morning, everybody. If you've got your Bibles this morning and you want to follow along, Genesis chapter 8. Um, as we all know, we're going through the entire book of Genesis. Um, we've been in it now for, this is our seventh month. We've made it to chapter 8, uh, but we'll start to speed up a little bit here. In fact, today we'll cover the entire uh, eighth chapter of Genesis. The title of our lesson is, He's in the Waiting. He's in the Waiting. So let's take a quick review of, of where we are when we, when we come to this chapter. Uh, Genesis chapter 7 uh, verses 11 through 12, all the way up to 24, says this, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were open, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and the waters prevailed on the earth a hundred and fifty days. And so uh, there's a lot of numbers here, right? And one of the things that we talked about is the Bible is very specific about giving dates. And because this isn't a... This isn't a fairy tale. It isn't a myth. It isn't once upon a time. The Bible says on this day, on this month, and and this year, this is when it it happened. And so it's very specific about giving us uh, beginning dates of when the flood happened. And of course, we all know it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And it says the water prevailed on the earth for 150 days. So we've got 40 days of rain. So so Noah and, and and his family, they're in this ark and they're in there. For 40 days, and this we, we talked about this in the past few months, and if you want to get caught up on, in, on any of these, these are all recorded, and you can listen to them on the podcast. Um, but this rain has just beat down, these torrential rains have beat down for 40 days and, and 40 nights on these people in this, uh, in this ark. And finally, after 40 days, the rain stops, and you can just imagine, man, you're, you're, in, this, <clears throat> you're in this box, right? You're in this huge floating chest with all these animals, uh, you know, the rain has stopped. You can hear the water outside. But other than, I mean, you've got to imagine, the stench has got to be terrible, right? Just the animals, you know, we talked about, you know, they've got to deal with all the, uh, all the animal waste and all of that. The work is hard. All these animals have to be fed. They have to be taken care of. The monotony, <clears throat> day after day after day after day, has got to be terrible. And it's only been 40 days. By the way, they've got... <clears throat> They don't know it at this point, but they've got a year ahead of them. And they've only made it in just a little over a, a month. So 40 days are come to an end and the rain stops. Now, if you're Noah, wouldn't you expect to hear from God? I mean, if I'm in the, you know, I, it's, it rains, all of a sudden the rain stops. You say, okay, this is it. God's fixing to speak to me. God's going to tell us what we need to, to do. But if God spoke to Noah, the Bible says nothing about it. As, as far as we know, God doesn't say a, a single thing. And so those 40 days drag on, and, and it turns into more days and more weeks and more months, and the only thing that Noah can do is, is wait. I mean, that's all he can do. I mean, he can't, you know, he can't just open the door and get out. I mean, he's stuck in this thing. He's not hearing from God, and he's just, he's just waiting. So here we are. We've got 40 days of rain. We know we've got another 110 days of when they're just floating uh, uh, around and, and there's no signs of dry ground. God's not saying anything. They're just in there. For, now, this is five months, guys. I mean, this isn't five days or five hours. This is five months where you got no idea <clears throat> where you are. you got no idea when this is going to end. you got no idea. 
God's not saying anything. He is absolutely uh, silent. Now, I'm, I'm always asking questions, and I want to know, what do you think was on their mind when they're in this dark, smelly ark with all this, all this work, and they're not hearing from God? They don't know what's, how long. Are they going to be in there two years? Are they going to be in there a year? Are they going to be in there three more days, three more? Uh, they don't know, right? So what do you think they were thinking during this five months? Now, remember, we say this often, Noah's just a man. He's not a superman. He, he thought the way we thought. He doubted the way we have doubts. He fears. He feared the way we have fears. He sins the way we sin. He's just, he's just a man. So I, I was thinking to myself the other day, probably a better way to ask the question, instead of what do you think Noah was thinking, what, what, do, what would I be thinking if I was in Noah's place and I'm stuck in that ark for five months and God's not saying anything, what would I be thinking? Well, I can tell you what I'd be thinking. God's forgot me. He, he forgot about me. He, he kicked all this stuff off and he's completely just abandoned me. He's decided I ain't worth it and, and he's just completely changed. Everybody any had thoughts like that kind of go through your mind when, when things aren't going right? I mean, we all go through that from, from time to time and we need to know that God has not for, forgotten us and that's exactly what we get here as we come to Genesis chapter 8. God remembers Noah. Let's start in verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now, let's, let's begin here by stating the obvious. When the Bible says God remembered, it does not mean that God forgot. Okay, that's God doesn't forget anything. It's not saying, hey, you know, God got busy with all this other stuff going on and he had to kind of run the universe and he forgot about the little guy floating on the boat. No, it's not saying that at all. That's not what it means. God, it's a phrase that, that pertains to the faithfulness of God. And it's used throughout the Bible. Let me give you a couple of examples. Genesis 19.29 said this, <clears throat> So it was that when God destroyed the city of the valley, he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, God remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Genesis 30.22 then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Exodus 2.24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with, with Jacob. In, in, in all of these things, He's not saying that God forgot. Everybody with me? God doesn't forget anything. It's pointing to God's faithfulness. So here we are, <clears throat> you see, and from Noah's point of view, five long months on the water and he's not hearing anything, and in his mind, he's thinking, man, maybe God has literally just forgotten about me, but God has not forgotten about Noah. He always remembers his promises to those who are his and those who belong to him. He may be silent uh, for a time, but the, the fact is, the very fact that he's faithful should be reflected in the fact that Noah is still safe, right? Everybody else is floating around outside dead. But Noah and his family are safe in that ark, and that very fact reflects the faithfulness of God. And, and by the way, the same is true for, for you and I today. There will always be times in our lives where we go through periods where it seems like God is absolutely silent. I mean, I don't know if you... I, I might be the only one, but I've gone through times where I've, I've, things aren't going right, and I'm praying, and I ain't hearing nothing. And I'm thinking, okay, what is going on here? And it's easy... It's very easy in human nature when those things happen to fall into the trap 
that God don't care because Satan will sit on your shoulder and, well, he don't care about you. He don't love you. He forgot about you. And you just, you, you know, you'll have a pity party and buy, and buy right into that and think, well, maybe God has forgotten about me. If that happens, you need to... Noah, if, when that happened to him, all he had to do was look around and say, I'm in an ark. I'm safe when everybody else is dead. For us, it's the same. All we have to do when we start thinking that way is stop and think, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ right now. I may not be hearing from God. God may, may be silent in my life. But the fact is, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ and I have been saved by grace. You see, the fact that Noah was in that ark wasn't based on anything he did. In fact, Genesis 6, 8 says Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And the fact that we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2 tells us it's also by grace. It's not, it's not based on us. So if we've trusted in God's means of salvation today, the ark today, which is Jesus Christ, we are safe. So even if God sometimes seems silent in the moment, always remember that, right? Don't get caught up in the circumstances. Look at the big picture and remember, I am safe. I am in the ark of the blood of Jesus. Now, at this point, Noah, as we said, he's got nothing to do but wait. Look at verses, let's read verses 1 through 5. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided, and the fountains of the deep, and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained. And the waters receded from the earth continually, and at the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. By the way, you know, they're, they're always looking for the ark on Mount Ararat, right? If you've ever read any of that, the Bible doesn't say that it came to rest on Mount Ararat. It, came, it says it came to rest on what? The mountains of Ararat. If you go over there today, there's, it's a mountain, it's multiple mountains. We don't know which one it came to, to rest on. Might, it might be... Mount Ararat, which is the highest one, which makes sense. But the Bible just says the mountains of, of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountain were seen. So let's look at our, top, our timeline. Here we are in the seventh month, on the first day of the month. Exactly 150 days have gone by, and the ark stops. Now remember, the water was 15 uh, cubits, which is basically about 22 and a half feet above the top of the mountains. So it had come down enough where the ark actually stops on one of them, but you still can't see the mountains. Everybody with me? The mountains, were, it, it was enough underwater where it stopped, but it, you couldn't see them. So now it goes on to the 10th month, the first day of the month, which is 74 days later. Now the mountains uh, appear. So all this time is going by. So at 150 days, the ark stops. 74 more days go by, which brings us to the 10th month and the first day of the month, and the mountains appear. So at this point, Noah has spent 224 days, that is seven and a half months, in this dark, smelly ark, right? He, he was expecting to hear from God, probably, I would think, when the rain stopped. He didn't hear nothing. Now the ark stops. It comes to a rest on top of this mountain, Right at 150 days, he don't, still don't hear anything. 74 more days go by, and now he can start to see the tops of the mountains appearing. Well, surely God is going gonna, is gonna to speak to him then, right? Surely it's time to get out. And, and by the way, understand, if you were in that ark, wouldn't you want to be out of there like right now? 
I'm, I'm sure he's got cabin fever, his whole family. He's, he's probably sick. They're probably so sick of each other. Let's face it, right? I mean, come on, guys. 224 months with your family in a boat. You'd be like, you're wanting to kill each other. You're nagging each other. I mean, come on. You know, you need, you need a break. But he still doesn't hear anything. And, and notice this. Do you understand God could have basically said the word and dried up the, the waters instantaneously? He could have just said, let it be, and it would have everything been ready to go. But God does what he usually does, and that is he takes his time. God, I, I, I told you this. I think I, I, I don't remember if I preached a sermon or taught a lesson one time, and, and the title was, Is God Slow? And the answer to that is yes. He's got his own timetable. He does things his own way. And so instead of just miraculously turning this water into dry land, he uses the wind, he uses evaporation, he uses other natural processes so it's just slow. So Noah waits for another 40 days. Let's pick up in verses 6 through 7. And at the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Okay, now, <clears throat> let's look at our timeline. They get on the ark, it rains for 40 days. Rain stops. Another 110 days go by, which is five months. The ark comes to a stop in the mountains of Ararat. Another 74 days go by. The mountains begin to appear. He waits another 40 days, and he sends out a raven. Now, to me, this is one of the great mysteries of the Bible. I have no clue why he would send out a raven. No clue. You see, ravens feed on carrion or dead animals. Right? They're, they're not like a dove. They don't, they're not vegetarians. They will feed on dead animals. So, you think there's dead animals out there floating around? Sure there are, right? So he sends out this raven. What is, what's the point of this? I, I really don't... I mean, I don't really have any clue. See, ravens will basically alight on anything. You got a, you got a dead, you know, you got a dead moose or a dead, uh, you know, a dead hydrosaurus or a dead whatever. He'll just... I mean, they'll, you know, light on that and pick away and then fly to something else and pick away and just go from dead animal to dead animal. There's plenty to eat. There's really no reason for it to return to the, to the ark. And it just says he flies around to and fro, right? He didn't hit, there was no reason for it to come back. So I, you know, I, I, I studied this. I'm looking for answers. Why? Why would he send out the raven? What was the point of sending out the raven? Now, I'm going, to t- I'm going to chase a rabbit real quickly for just a second here. Several of the places I went to and the commentaries that I went to said, well, there's a spiritual lesson here, right? The raven represents evil. The dove represents good. The raven represents the old sin nature. The dove represents the new. Everybody with me? How many of y'all have ever heard an Old Testament sermon where we take a story and then we make a spiritual lesson out of it. Anybody ever heard that, right? Okay, now here, here so is this just a spiritual lesson? Now, now I'm going to say something here, I want you all to understand me. When I, when I go through the Bible and I teach the Bible, it's easy to take a, a, something like the raven and say, well, raven represents evil, or raven... But here's the problem with that. If you, if you can take something in the Bible and assign a meaning to it, then I can assign any meaning to it. Are you with me? 
In other words, I could say, well, the raven represents chocolate ice cream and the dove represents vanilla ice cream. Right? What's... <laughs> See, I, I, listen, I'm not saying you can't take a story like David and Goliath and, and make a spiritual lesson out of it. I'm, not, I'm just saying I'm not comfortable doing it. I'm not personally comfortable doing that. Because I, I just, I think, because once I assign something to it, I can assign anything. Everybody with me? I mean, where does it stop? So I'm, personally, I cannot do that. I just won't do it. I, I just, I, I look at the Bible and I try to interpret the Bible for what it just says. And he just says he sent out a raven. Well, and I try to figure out, well, why would he do that? I'm not looking for some great, necessarily spiritual lesson in it. Some, somebody else can do that and that's okay. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying personally that I'm not comfortable um, doing that. So here's my best guess, and it's just a guess at what, at what Noah was thinking. We do know that Noah's intentions in sending out the birds is to figure out what's going on out there, right? He's trying to, you know, today we'd send up a drone, right? We'd fly a drone out there, take some pictures and come back and analyze them and say, well, you know, but to that, in that day they just sent out a bird. And the bird brings back information. So the question would be, what kind of information would he get out of the raven? If, if he's trying to find out if, if everything out there is ready for human habitation, what kind of information would he get back from the raven? So, so if the raven doesn't come back, what does that tell Noah? Well, it probably tells Noah that there's plenty of rotting, dead carcasses floating around in the water and, and being stuck on the mountains, it's probably not a suitable place yet for human habitation, right? So maybe in that sense, he's looking for the negative side. You know, if the raven doesn't come back, he knows there's plenty of dead, rotting carcasses out there. I, it's probably not a good time for us to exit the ark. That's probably the best that I can, can come up with. Let's read on, verses 8 through 9. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and he took her and brought her into the ark uh, with him. Now let's look at our timeline again. It rains for 40 days, okay? 110 days later, the ark stops. 74 days go by where the mountains appear. 40 days, he sends out the raven. Now, most commentaries, let's go back. That first verse just says, then... Everybody see that? It doesn't say how long between the raven and the dove. We don't know if he sent them out at the same time. We don't, we don't know. Most commentaries believe it would have, he would have waited seven days. If he waited, he sent out the raven, he waited another seven days. He sent out the raven again, he waits another seven days. He's, everybody with me? So it, it's kind of implied here that he may have waited seven days to send out the dove, but we don't know that. For sure. Now, just as a raven doesn't care where it lands, a dove is, is just the opposite. A raven can land on a corpse and fly from dead carcass to dead carcass, but a dove is not going to uh, do that. Doves want a dry, clean place to nest and to land. And in fact, they, if you read up on them, they're very particular uh, about that. So the dove doesn't find anything like that. It doesn't find any vegetation. It can't eat. It can't build its nest. So what does it do? It comes back to Noah. Now, what does Noah do at this point? He just waits. I mean, he's been waiting for five months. He's been waiting for seven and a half months. 
He waited 40 days. Now he waits some more. Verses 10 through 11. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Now, look at it one more time. Forty days of rain, 110 days the ark stops, 74 days the mountains appear. Forty more days, he sends out a raven, he waits seven days, sends out a dove, he waits seven more days, sends out the dove again. Now the raven is not going to tell him if the water is gone. It's only telling him that there's death out there, but the, but the dove is looking for life, right? It's not looking for death. It's looking for life. It's looking for vegetation because it would, ha- again, have to have something to eat, something to, to build its nest out of. Now, this is really interesting. It says he brought back what kind of leaf? An olive leaf. Now, that means these olive leaves would have had to sprout very quickly, right? Now, is that even possible? So I did some research on olive trees. Did you know that of all the trees, in fact, all of the living organisms that are out there today, some of the very oldest are olive trees. There are olive trees that have been proven conclusively to be over 2,000 years old. I didn't know that. In fact, there's a, there's a grove in Sardinia that reliably lates through oral tradition that it was planted over 4,000 years ago. So these trees will literally live. In fact, I don't know if you can see the picture of this one up there. I mean, that tree right there is about two, about, I think that one was dated about 3,000 years old. That tree right there. And if you look at it, the root, the, the, the root system is, it's incredible, right? The, 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 the um, branches and the leaves and stuff are kind of minute compared to uh, that. And you ought to go online and look at some of those because they're really, really neat. There's even oral tradition out there that some uh, olive trees are even older than this. In fact, there is some evidence. In fact, we cannot prove, by the way, that olive trees even die at all. We can't prove that they die. In fact, as far as we know, they literally can live on and on and on and on and on and, and on. Um, and so, and there's, a, there's some reasons for this. Number one, they're self-pollinating which is very rare in the, uh, uh, in the plant kingdom. In other words, they don't need another tree to help pollinate. They can pollinate themselves. And so what that does is they don't, they don't have any genetic material coming in from other plants that can kind of mess them up and, and introduce problems into the tree. They, they just, they just kind of take care of themselves. Um, now, by the way, the, the trunk and, and the branches and all the, those things will eventually hollow off and, and fall off but the root system just replenishes itself over and over and over again. And so that's, um, they just, it just keeps replenished. So you can go in and you could cut off all the, all the branches and just leave the, the thing and it'll just grow another, the tree will just grow right back out of it. It'll just re-sprout everything. Finally, it is known for being able to grow in extremely poor soil. In fact, very, very rocky ground. You can burn it down. You can set fire to it, burn the whole tree up, and when you're done, it'll just a new one will just come up right up out of it. You cannot, you, you just can't kill these things. And in fact, they have been known to survive completely underwater. You can cover them with water for an extended period of time, and then when the water subsides, they'll just re-sprout. You just cannot kill these things. They are, they're unbelievable. So of all the trees 
that you would have been apt to, to have sprouted very quickly that could have survived underwater, the olive tree would have been the one. And, of course, that's the one that the Bible says that he found. So the dove brings back this leaf from this olive tree. So what does Noah do? Once again, look at verse 12. Then he what? He waits. He waits another seven days, and he sends out the dove again, and this time she does not come back. So let's look at our timeline. Forty days of rain, 110 days, the ark stops. Another 74 days, he waits. The mountains appear. He waits 40 days, sends out a raven. <clears throat> waits seven more days, sends out a dove. She comes back. He, um, seven more days, she comes back with an olive leaf. He waits seven more days, sends her out again, and this time she doesn't come back. Now this all started on the 17th day of the second month when, when Noah was 600 years old. Now, if you do the math with those days, we are now at the second day of the 12th month. So at this point, they have been in this ark for 285 days. That is nine and a half months. And at this point, Noah figures it's safe to go out. Everybody with me? The, the, the dove doesn't come back. Uh, there's vegetation sprouting. It's probably, it's probably a good time to go out. So what does Noah do? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. He just continues to wait. In fact, he waits 29 more days go by. Look at verse 13. In the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and he looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Okay? Now, we're at 314 days. Okay, actually, that's more than ten and a half months. I don't know why I've got that. At, at this point, Noah can they he can see with his own eyes, right? They've removed the covering. They look all around, and they can see the ground is dry. It is time, surely, it's time to get out, right? Time to get out of the ark. Not yet. <laughs> he waits another fifty-six days. Genesis eight fourteen. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month. The earth had dried out. We are now at 370 days and counting. It is over one year since they entered the ark. Ground's dry. It, it's, it's time to go, right? But he just keeps waiting. Now here's the question. What in the world is he waiting for? Look at verse 15 to 17. Then God spoke. Then God said to Noah... It's time. Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Let me tell you something about Noah. Noah's not perfect. He's not perfect. He's a sinner just like you and me. In fact, we're going to see this as we move along, that he's not perfect at all. But let me tell you, he's been walking in obedience to God for a long, long time. Probably at least 120 years. Remember, it was 120 years ago. In fact, 121 years ago, when God said, I'm, from this, he said, I'm, you all got 120 more years, right? Y'all remember that back when we went through that? So for 120 years, he's been obeying God. He's been listening to God and doing what God says. See, when God said, build the ark, he built it. When God said it's time to go in the ark, he went in. And I can tell you, he's not getting off that boat until God says it's time to get off the boat. It doesn't, he doesn't matter what he sees with his eyes. It doesn't matter what the birds coming and going tell him. 
In fact, God, as far as we know, God didn't say to do all that stuff. He just did it. But the fact is, the information that he's getting back in his, the natural information that's coming to him, that's all fine and that's all good. But he's not getting off that boat until God speaks and says, get off the boat. Okay? See, now God, have, he's been silent for a long time. But Noah trusts God even in the waiting. We sing that song, he's in the waiting. He's there. He may not be talking, but he's there. And he's forming us and he's shaping us and he's, he's building us up. He's edifying us, causing us to trust his words. I made a promise to you back then. I'm faithful. You don't need me to come every day and say, yes, do you remember I promised you that? You shouldn't need all that. Just trust what I said. I can't lie. I'll take care of you. Just trust that, even in the waiting, even in the silence. And so Noah trusted that the same God that spoke to him a year ago and said, get on the boat, that same God is going to come back and speak to him and say, now it's time to get off the boat. And he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits. No matter what his, the natural information says, now it's time, he doesn't wait. He waits till he hears God speak. Look at verses 18 through 19. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Just as a reminder, by the way, they step off the ark into a completely different world that existed before. The land that had once teemed with vegetation. You remember we talked about finding palm fronds in in Wyoming. The climate back before the flood was completely different. There were no ice caps. There was no Antarctica and South Pole. There wasn't any of that stuff. The, the climate was warm. Vegetation was teeming. There were animals everywhere. And they step off an ark into basically a wilderness, a mountainous wilderness. The, the air, which, formerly, which would have before been very calm and, and warm, is now probably uh, very stiff. And they're, if they're up on a mountain range, I'm sure... The wind is, is blowing like they've never seen it blow. It's got to be cold up there now, right, where it hadn't been before. And so they step off into an environment completely different from the one that they left. Now, we saw at the beginning that God remembered Noah, right? Now, at the end of the chapter, what we're going to see is that Noah remembers God. I want you to put yourself in Noah's shoes for one second. You've been on an ark for a year. Okay, all these animals, you're, they're, you know, you're, again, the stench, the monotony, the, the, the waiting, the, all this stuff has been going on. You're finally told, get off the ark. Food supplies are probably running low, right? You've got to build a shelter for your family. There's all these things that, that need to be done because there's always plenty that needs to be done. And the first thing you walk off the ark and see is just massive desolation. Everything you're looking at speaks of death and judgment and desolation and destruction. Everybody with me? See, and Noah doesn't presume, and I love this about Noah. Noah, See, Noah, it would be easy for him to say, I'm Noah. God chose me. I'm special. I don't need to, I don't, everybody with me? I mean, he was chosen among all the people of the world because the Bible says he was righteous among his generation. But he doesn't presume, presume that he's got some kind of special relationship with God. So what's the first thing the Bible tells us that he does? Verse 20, 
And Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. You remember a couple of chapters ago, the, uh, God said, take two of every kind, but of the clean animals and the clean bird, take seven. So you've got extra. So he has extra of the clean to be able not only to sacrifice, but also to eat if he needs to as well. You see, I love this about Noah because he knows he's a sinner. He still understands that the only way that you approach God is through the, a blood sacrifice. He still knows that. He understands that. And that is exactly what he does. By the way, in addition, his, his, uh, his sacrifice is, all, is also an expression of his thanks for God saving him. See, Noah, Noah knows his own heart. He knows that he didn't deserve that. He knows there was nothing in him um, that, that, that God should have spared him. He knows he's just as bad, in, in essence, in his nature as everybody else. So he expresses his thanks to God with this sacrifice. Now, again, I'm, as I'm going through this, I'm looking for applications. How does this apply to me? Well, if we are Christians, then our ark is Jesus Christ, is it not? He is our salvation. And God wants us to reflect on that salvation. Okay? He wants us to, in fact, Hebrews 13, 15 says this, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to His name. Today, we don't have to sacrifice an animal to give thanks to God. Now we just do it with our mouth. And the Bible says that we are to do that continually. We ought to remember what He's done for us. And by the way, like Noah, there's, every day we get up, and we walk out of that door, and there's plenty to do, is it not? There's plenty to do. There's, there's jobs that got to go to, and children's got to be taken care of, and all kind of things. And it's so easy to get busy with those things and forget about what you should be doing, which is offering your thanks to God. But Noah didn't do that. He remembered. And by the way, when we forget, it is so easy to become ungrateful, is it not? It is so easy just to get up every day and go through life and just forget to be thankful of what He has not only done for us, but what He's going to do for us as well. So don't, we, we can't do that. Like Noah, the first thing he did when he walked out that door, as far as we know, is he built an altar and he offered, he offered thanks to God. So we've got to guard against that. We've got to guard against thankless hearts by regularly setting aside a time in our schedule to, to, to just go to the Lord and say, you know what, I, thank you. Because what that does when we do that, it makes us remember. It makes us call to remembrance all the things He's done for us. Here's, here's a one little phrase I wrote down. Since God in faithfulness has remembered us, we by faith remember Him. Let me say that again, just like with Noah. Since God in faithfulness has remembered us, then we by faith need to remember Him. So in his sacrifice, Noah is showing penitence and thankfulness. And, and, and this, I think his integrity, by the way, I think his honesty and what he did brings about a response from God. Look at verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of, of his sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature 
as I have done. Now, once again, let's state the obvious. When it says God is smelling the aroma, it's not talking about that in the sense that we smell. God is a spirit, right? As far as I know, I mean, I guess he could smell if he wanted to, but he doesn't, he doesn't have a nose and ears. And when he talks about him hearing or him, it's not talking about it in the sense that we do. What he's telling us here is that God, when God, when it says he smells a pleasing aroma, what it's letting us know is that he's pleased with the heart of the worshiper. There's another place in the Old Testament where they're sacrificing, and he says, that's, that's not pleasing at all to me. It's the same smell, right? No matter who offers it, it's the same smell. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the heart of the worshiper. So when he smells a pleasing aroma, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased, I'm satisfied with the heart of the worshiper that is offering that. So here God is pleased with Noah's heart. And in response, God says, I'm not going to do that again. I just brought all that rain, all that water, I drowned all, I'm not going to do that ever again. And notice what he says, even though the intention of a man's heart is evil from his youth. This is very important. We need to understand this. The flood did not wipe out sin. The flood did not wipe out fallenness. The flood didn't wipe out all of those things. You see, when Noah and his family got off the boat, his sons and their wives were sinners. And when they reproduce children, they just reproduce more sinners, don't they? I mean, and, and it just, the whole thing kind of starts all over again. That's not, was, that was not the purpose of the flood. So God is not removing sin or death or wrath or judgments. All of that stuff existed before the flood, and all of that stuff exists after the flood. What has changed is that God says, I will never again drown the entire human race because of that. Those, he, he understands those things are still there. Even in a good man like Noah, they're still there. But he says, I, I'm never going to do that again. And by the way, we now live in an age of grace. Romans 2.4 said this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? If you go back and do the math, 1600, roughly 1,650 years go by between Adam and Noah, and God says, I can't take any more. I'm destroying this, and he does it. Roughly 4,500 years now have gone by. And, and by the way, do you think we're just as bad today as they were then? I do. I think our hearts are, just, are terribly, terribly wicked on this earth. I, listen, I, I was telling Kathy, I was in Ames, Iowa this week. And uh, I was staying at the hotel and I got up and went to breakfast and I opened the, their little local newspaper. And this is Ames, Iowa. This ain't San Francisco. It ain't New York. It ain't Los Angeles. This is Ames, Iowa. And they were having a workshop at their local library to, to teach uh, people how to dress in drag. Okay, now wait a minute. And it was for K through 6. K through 6th grade. And I read it three times. K through 6th grade. You don't think we're as bad? Come on. What is going on here? But yet, God lets it go another day and another day. Why? Because of His kindness and his forbearance, and his patience. He said, I'm not going to do that again like that. I'm going to give you a chance. Change, repent, turn. He, he gives us chance after chance after chance after chance instead of just dropping the hammer, which he has every right to do. He, he should have drowned us a long time ago, to be quite honest with you. 
But he said, I'm not going to do that, and he hasn't. He's kept his promise. We continue, he continues to show grace to us year after year, after decade, after decade, after century, after millennium. Look at verse 22. He says this, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now there's one little caveat at the very beginning of that verse. While the earth remains. You see, there is another judgment coming. There is another judgment coming. This one will not be a judgment of water, but this one will be a judgment of fire. Second Peter 3.10 The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There is another judgment coming. The question is, are you in the ark? The ark today is Jesus Christ. That is where our safety lies. Are you in the ark? If you're not, if you're not, do not leave here today without putting your trust and your faith in Him. Next week, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 9. Uh, we'll look at the new world that Noah and his family walk into. Let's pray. Father.